Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hello, leavers, believers, and a special shout out this month to LGBT pluses. My name's Tanya, and you have arrived at Leaving Hillsong. It's still Pride Month, and so we are celebrating Pride. Uh, if you haven't worked it out already, the concept of pride is not just for the rainbow community. It's just that these are the kind of people that have stood up and been brave and said, this is who I really, really am and I'm willing to take on the world with that, but I've got to be me. It's inspirational stuff, whoever you are. Shout out to the 11 new followers we gained this week after losing 10 immediately after posting the Pink Pride post. So we're one up and uh, checkmate home, folks. We are an affirming podcast here at Leaving Hillsong. We affirm people's right to live in truth with personal integrity and free from being hated and hurt merely for being themselves or different and if we could look around the room here of listeners you'd be surprised at how many black sheep there are amongst us so it's a really cool gathering there is a bit of hillsong gossip but i'm not in a mood to ruin the happy happy time we're having with uh you know unbridled insanity that's going on so Let's move on to a slightly cheery topic, which is Drapper's Nightmare. Last week, you met Matthew Drapper, and he gave you a bit of background of his childhood. And now we're going to talk about gay conversion therapy. All the content warnings apply. Please, please take your time. Please keep yourself safe. There's no rush if June isn't your month to listen to this stuff. It's amazing how different people are affected by 
different things at different times from the same abusive system. So work with your own psyche. It'll bring to you what you need to face and heal from in its own good time. And so let's jump right into part two of A Kind of Empathy. Look, without further ado, let's get talking about the nightmare. You said things had started so wonderfully. You had such a fresh start with love and then it didn't seem to end up that way. Fill me in in the in-between. Yeah, when I first started going to this church, it was in Sheffield and it had about sort of 300 people in the congregation and lots of young people. And it just felt like a really different kind of Christianity to the one that I'd been taught and I'd grown up with. And what I didn't realise was that it was going to be dangerous, but in a completely different kind of way. I suppose growing up with that sort of extremist Christian kind of suffering, wannabe kind of like... Uh, just give everything up for Jesus kind of Christianity. You'd come out to the new church as gay, but not in a relationship. I mean, churches always tell you, we're on a journey. And then they don't tell you that the journey always leads to a specific place. And if it leads anywhere else, then you're off the journey. So they always love to tell you, you know, we're in this together. You can guide the conversation. You know, we want you to feel safe. But then as soon as you start to like step out of what they're expecting you to do, then suddenly you become the enemy. I mean, and this is directly relevant to people that have been involved with Hillsong because Hillsong will say, of course, the gay community is welcome here. You're just not welcome to do A, B and C, B in leadership, those kinds of things. So Mm. I don't know that it's very clear from the outset. What did you find? Yeah, so I feel like it was the same for me. So I was going to do a year's discipleship kind of training course, aka doing lots of work for the church for free. So during that interview, I explained that I was gay, that I was figuring it out, and they were like, that's fine, just come along and join us, and I'm sure we'll see what kind of journey we go on. And as soon as I got there, there was a lot of words, kind of people brought me prophecies to do with freedom, and they said, God's going to bring you lots of freedom this year, and freedom and joy, and all of these kind of words. So I guess in my head, I began to kind of like put that together with the whole gay thing and the whole, you know, the praying to God for years to mm-hmm. to stop being gay and to wake up being straight. I never wanted to do the whole kind of lying thing and the whole pretending thing and the whole, you know, I'm going to have a, a wife, but I'm going to secretly be gay and all of that thing. Like, you know, like when people say you've got to like work it out, I wasn't into that business. It needed to be like a full, realistic, mm-hmm. genuine change or nothing at all. So anyway, They kind of said, oh, don't focus on that. Just focus on Jesus. So we did a lot of work with the church. We started to worship um, like, you know, three or four days a week. We'd meet together and just pray and sing. And what we described as the Holy Spirit would fall. And Mm -hmm. we'd all end up like knocked out of the floor and just enjoying like being with each other and and being with God. And during that time, they were constantly just saying, like, bring all of your like deepest secrets and bring all your deepest traumas into that space with Jesus and Jesus will move them about shake them up bring some freedom and the thing about being told you have to bring your deepest traumas and secrets and so on into a space is that you will you'll find something to bring so you know different people brought different things like their depression or their physical illnesses or one of my good gorgeous friends spent months feeling incredibly guilty because he'd he'd like once shouted and been so angry at somebody and he thought that he'd like murdered them in his heart so he spent all this time like just 
repenting over something that was just a nothing. It was just an, an argument, that kind of thing. So for me, it kind of it brought the whole like being gay thing to the front of my mind. And even though they claimed to that we could go on this journey together, they it was clear that they were kind of guiding towards something else. I mean, you said earlier you'd indicated to them that you'd wanted change. That was the expectation was that there would be some some change you know at that time I wasn't really sure that was exactly what I was expecting I'd only just come out I was in a very vulnerable place you know I had a lot of family rejection and then this church was like yeah you're welcome here like we'll pull you in we'll gather you up like yeah so I mean it's really hard to say when it comes to like the kind of the decisions that you're making within church Mm -hmm. life your personal decisions or the like group decisions or are they what the pastor has said that God has said that you should have you know like and you know how it is when people bring you prophecies and things like that as well yeah yeah Oh, you were indicating change, wanting change for something that you'd been indoctrinated to believe you needed change for. So, in my mind, like, freedom could have looked like different things at different times. So, I thought the freedom might be just a freedom from all this guilt and this fear and this shame, you know. And all the way through this like year we were doing with the church, doing lots of volunteering, there was kind of this argument in my head like, what does the freedom look like? Does it look like the freedom to, to exist, or does it look like the freedom of, of change, I suppose? Mm-hmm. Were there any differences between what you were permitted to do in that church and other people that you noticed that because you had outed yourself? Not at that time, because I wasn't in a relationship. If I was to ever be in a kind of relationship, then there, then there would be. And ultimately there were in the end. In the end, I got into you know the ultimate big, big fight with the church, but it would be a few more years before that happened. When do they first start to tap you on the shoulder and... So the thing was that we were all kind of given the same treatment, but it was it applied differently in different ways. So we'd been doing this volunteering for about maybe six months, something like that. We were all exceptionally tired as well. We were expected to, to have part-time work, to volunteer at least two days or two and a half days plus Sundays to the church. And everything about our lives, we all lived in, in kind of shared Christian houses as well. So there was like a whole, uh, like all the Christians around like all the time, 24-7. And it's which is weird because I felt like I had escaped from a Christian 24-7 world, which was my family. And then I'd gone straight into another Christian 24-7 world, but it was a different vibe I guess it felt like it was like the language mm-hmm. of it was much more freeing but the reality wasn't so my housemate would sit at the dinner table and confess to having had some lustful thoughts about a woman and then he expected us to go around the table and share our, our struggle <laughs> and the others in the house would be like, oh yeah I like I watched porn and I feel really guilty about it and the other one would be like oh yeah I saw somebody on the street I thought they looked attractive so I felt guilty and I'd be like because I wasn't going to tell them that I didn't tell my house that I was gay and I wasn't going to start admitting to weird, lustful thoughts. So I was just like, I really felt really proud today. So I feel a bit guilty. About <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. Like, oh, I thought about, it's just, oh, it's just so stupid. Like there was this whole confessional thing. And it's just really, when you look back at it, I had got the Born Identity films on DVD, which were, I've got mm-hmm. Jason Born in. And I came home one day and I said to my housemate, oh, have you been watching the Bourne films? <laughs> the DVDs have been moved. And he said, how did you know I spent all weekend watching porn? <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, the Bourne Identity DVD. <sighs> Matt Damon. <sighs> The thing was, like, everyone was living in this total fear that they might just be attracted to someone at some point and then they'd be going straight to hell. And that was the straights and the gays and everyone in between. Oh, what a way to live for young people. 
I know. Self-imposed surveillance. It's very powerful, but I wonder how they're all doing now. It wasn't even just self-imposed surveillance. So everybody was expected to have an accountability partner that you would tell. I was just rubbish with mine because I (laughs) wouldn't really confess anything to them and they'd tell me all these things and I'd be like, this is weird. We were also in these like groups of like six or seven who had two leaders and we would meet once a week and we would talk, talk about everything that would come up during the week from our struggles and then those two leaders would be part of another group of six or seven who had two leaders and so it kind of like pyramided from the top down with this accountability like high 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 accountability on every level and no safeguarding within that just accountability and just gathering of information about everyone. Okay. You know, all these patterns, all these things you see, like, throughout all the big churches. And where did that information end up? Just between the two people? No, all the information always ended up going back to the top because it would be passed up. So they'd be like, if you have any concerns about the people you're talking to, like, you know, bring them to your leaders and then your leaders will bring them to the leaders above them. And when I was doing some work on the student team, we had, like, a big whiteboard and we had everyone's names on it. We'd go through, like, all of the students we've been talking to and what they'd said to us in the week, things like that. So... It's a bit of a creepy surveillance situation. And that went on for how long? So, uh, so, I mean, I was there on the volunteering course for a year and then I volunteered with the students for a year after that. But during that first year of volunteering, we had what was called an Encounter God weekend where we were encouraged to fill in a really, really detailed survey of our lives up to that point. What we'd seen, what we'd done, what we believed about God, what our parents had been like, if there was any family mental health illness, like what sort of dangerous things you'd been involved in. Like, had you ever used an eight ball or had you ever, like, (laughs) played Jumanji or whatever? (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, have you ever used a Ouija board? I'm saying these things like what demons have you racked up mm-hmm. so we were all expected to fill these surveys in and then they got um, a team from the church to to pray with each of us over the course of a weekend so mine obviously ended up being focused on my homosexual <laughs> um, <laughs> as you can imagine the people who were, were running the prayers were like you know you can be freed the 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 demons that you've agreed to allow into your life oh man when you really, really believe in that stuff, when you really, really believe in like the angels and the demons and the ongoing war and all of this sort of thing, like, and you get told, you know, that you have made an agreement with Satan to allow demons to come into your life, that's not good. Yeah, I look, you're preaching to the choir here. I'm an 80s kid. We had a spirit of everything. It's uh, overwhelming at the best of times, isn't it? Yeah. For me now, like looking back, it's like, it's kind of all the ways that affects your body. Like they tell you things like if when we're praying for you, you might start to choke up or you might start to cough. They said that the spirits move in the wind. So you might suddenly feel like you need to like blow out from your mouth or you might even fart, like just ridiculous looking back. But they carry this like weight onto your, onto your body and into your body about, you know, what should be a spiritual thing or what, you know, and and clearly it's something that's in my opinion made up, but at the time that you take hundred percent seriously. Mm, mm. Well, there's a lot of power and suggestion in social psychology and, and group psychology. There's no doubt about that. So then as you were being prayed for, I mean, what sort of happened after that? So the the leaders gave us these prayers to pray and we were expected to pray them over ourselves, really. I suppose in that way they can't take the blame afterwards because they encouraged you to do it 
you know, to yourself. And we were expected to shout at the, whatever sort of demonic thing we were carrying, as if we were talking to um, a, a wild dog, as if the dog had run up to you, how you would speak to that dog, like not to just be like, oh, go away, but to be like, you must leave now. So I was there and I had just one of my other volunteer friends with me. And then there was two prayer leaders and we were sat opposite each other at the table. And I prayed these prayers over myself, which is, is just really hard to think about having done. Mm. Um, and told like, all the sort of the gay side of myself to leave and uh, told any any agreement I made with Satan was now broken and any associated demons could go. And the leaders told me, oh, we can see these demons going hand in hand out the window. So like there was a lot of visual things going on there, you know, and you your body reacts sometimes how you expect it will. So I was kind of feeling kind of hunched over and like, you know, like there was something like pressured on my lungs, but like the stress of it would pressure on your lungs anyway. So, yeah. so I mean, I was one of the lucky ones because I had this one intense situation and you know, like other people would go on like a six week course of this kind of prayer. So, okay. you know, there's, the thing was, you know, it's kind of, that's, just, that's the trickery of these kind of places is that they say you know you're welcome as you are but then they say over time like what you are is actually demented (laughs) and we can help with that so yeah 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 i mean mean, sorry i know it's i know it's quite it's quite a lot to like share really because it makes people feel like what can you even say to that tell us what happened for you i mean sort of as much as you feel comfortable with Hmm. well the next morning, I woke up feeling kind of empty and kind of being like a bit like a skeleton of myself, just like the wind could just blow through me. Just very kind of thin and, and attached to, you know, like empty. And there was all these like horrible Bible stories, like the one that says that like the person gets rid of the demons and sweeps mm-hmm. the room and then seven more demons come back in because they didn't like clean it properly. So it's not like I could even really test <sighs> it even worked or not worked because I wouldn't dare to like look at a man for like a good six months after this like um, but long and short of it is obviously it didn't work it's not gonna work it's not real so straight away I realized you know this hasn't really happened but I'm gonna keep like moving towards the miracles I'm just gonna focus and keep myself busy so we went on a mission trip we read through the bible from beginning to end in 72 hours like as a little group we did all these kind of things just to keep busy and then we carried on with our volunteer year and then we got to the end of that and then I went back to Buxton to my hometown and spent the summer kind of away from the church, still just, you know, believing in God and carrying on all those thoughts in my head, but just like away from the center of it. And in that time, I realized, A, I'm still incredibly gay and still mm-hmm. desire to have a relationship with a man and to have a, to have a life with someone and to, to, to love someone. And I realized that if that was the case and if God loved me as much as God as I understood that God did. And if Jesus was as close as he was, then something again must be flawed with what I was being told and not with me. Okay. So I went to the Bible and I really like dug in from beginning to end. And I kind of found within the, the ebb and flow of the Bible, like never mind kind of the individual stories or the individual verses, but in the ebb and the flow of the Bible, I found that there was kind of a story of God providing, or God or whoever they understood to be God, providing a specific list of laws but then applying those laws in a way that enabled people to be human. So, for example, David, uh, there was a law that said you cannot eat the bread from the temple. But King David uh, was running away from someone who wanted to kill him. And he came to the temple and he was hungry and the bread was there. And the need to live was more important 
to God and to him, and he was allowed yeah. to eat the showbread from the temple. Similarly, Jesus, like, when he was here, was constantly looking at the letter of the law, for example, like, do not pick up your mat and walk on a Sunday. And he was telling disabled people, you know, you're healed and you can pick up your mat and you can walk. And they were. Or, you know, healing the man with a withered hand. And basically what I found was that we were told this is the letter of the law on LGBTQI, you know, existence. And yet that's not the reality. And that is kind of not how it's supposed to be lived out, I guess. And I'm just trying to think. Like, I'm not. I'm not so strong on the theology side. I don't no, like. Beautiful. Like, it's beautiful. Wrong. But but what I realized was like the interpretation of the law through love is more important than the center direct of what the law itself is. That seemed to be like my understanding from the Bible at the time. And you know, there's also translation issues and things like that as well. Whether the law was the law to begin with, like all of these kind of things. So it's, it's like, there's it's all sorts of different fascinating ways of understanding the Bible. And we all understand that. But it made me laugh because the Bible, as far as I was concerned, was very clear about not working on a Sunday, about like not going to the shops on a Sunday. But the church would send out the, the students to go and buy their lunch from Tesco's on a Sunday. So <laughs> they interpreted all the other all the other different elements of the Bible, like in through the lens of what needs to happen to live now in this modern society and in, and in existence. And yeah, the gay thing was just like this horrifying thing for me. Who knows why that is? I've never thought of all those things before. That's really lovely. <laughs> no, it is. Sure, it's lovely. Hmm. Yeah, and you ever hear about verse arguing and comparison and oh, yeah, that's it. It's that all kind of verse Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah there. <laughs> no. Again, with the Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah is fascinating in itself because obviously mm. Sodom and Gomorrah throughout the entire rest of the Bible is described as being inhospitable. And I see how Sodom and Gomorrah more as being like, you know, closing the border to refugees than it is anything to do with like, you know, the, what was essentially some sort of abusive uh, relationship supposed to happen between the men, all the men of the city and these two angels who came to the city. And it's just bonkers that anyone would ever look at Sodom and Gomorrah and think like, I must be about the gays. Come on. Mm. Well, I mean, the whole thing gets worse way afterwards. But anyway, that's, you know, for a different sort of family show I suppose <laughs> yeah absolutely I don't want to get too caught up on like the whole biblical biblical exegesis because everybody has their own interpretations and their own understandings and it's not my place to put it that on to somebody else but the thing was for me over that summer I redefined uh what I understood and I did it from a really good point and I did it from a really good motive and a really good understanding of my relationship with God and we were told all the time in the church Listen to what God says and apply that in your life. And this is what I was doing. So I came back to the church after the summer, absolutely buzzing, ready for another year of volunteer work. I said, I've been listening to God all summer. And this is what God is saying. The church is on a journey. We can become an inclusive space where people can have different interpretations, but that they can apply the, the love of the, the Lord to be of love to their lives. And they were like, uh-uh-uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Someone's listening to God wrong. <laughs> so you know yeah. all that time I said listen to God and apply it to your life but only if you hear it the way that we hear it yes I've had jobs like that where they encourage creative everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well better help can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule 
It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thought until you offer them creative thought. Um, <laughs> what you, we really that- want to hear from you. Yeah, you do. Oh. Exactly. So it kind of went into like this kind of ongoing struggle with the church where I was a part of it. I was invited to be on the student team, but I couldn't do other elements of the church. I could be in leadership over some people, but not over others. Like there were all these elements to it. And all that time I was thinking like, this church is amazing. Like I want to be a part of it still. I want to like lend my talents to it and, and help them to become their best selves. And I was really concerned for all the students who I had some responsibility for working on the student team, knowing that they would be going through their own struggles and finding ways for them to interact with a church that promised healing, but didn't provide it and that promised freedom, but then to find what that freedom was based on the chains they wanted to put on people, things like that. So I was there trying to hold on to all the different elements of the church and to kind of balance things out and to kind of keep them on the straight and narrow so when they did their their what like once a year sex talk from the front of the church uh-huh. like, we- kind of like mm-hmm, from the from the audience just like kind of throwing in my you know my my thoughts that other people if they were there would know like there's different differing opinions there and I was like constantly tweeting them out and things like that and I was allowed to do most of this until such a time as I almost went on a date with someone and they found out about it so was this your first date? Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many dates you've been. Well, I mean, very, very few, especially at the time. I mean, no, I definitely have never been on a date with someone. I've been in love with lots of people, housemates. I've been in love with friends. You know how it is. <laughs> but finally, what happened was there was this guy in the church. And he, surprisingly enough, was also a gay. And he... And I started chatting a bit and he was much more bullshit than I was in terms of he would never have gone through the whole conversion therapy thing. He just knew. He knew from when he was like six years old and his parents had been supportive and stuff like that. So it was a very different vibe to mine. He'd come to the church to do a volunteer year and they kind of didn't dare push him partly because they'd seen like some of my reactions. So we were like chatting a bit and we'd gone out for coffee as you do, Christian vibes. And someone had spotted us having coffee and we looked out the window and we'd seen one of the church leaders walk past and they'd seen us seeing them, seeing us, seeing them. So we were like, "Mm, I feel like we've been rumble. (laughs) As he did with all of those kinds of, you know, surveillance things going on at the church, we thought we better go straight to the leadership and explain to them like, yes, we're thinking about going on a date. (laughs) And the guy was like, and are you planning to have sex on this date? Right. Nothing but sex for the church when it comes to the games, as you know. They're just like, yay equals sex, sex equals not good, God, straight to hell if you're gay, blah, blah, blah. They weren't capable of even considering the idea that perhaps we wanted to go on a date because we wanted to go on a date. Mm. 
So I ended up in this meeting with like the top, top church leader. And he was like, well, uh, when I was quite young, I had a crush on one of my friends who was a boy. Oh. And now I'm married to a woman and completely straight. And it was only that one time once in school that I did have a crush on a boy. So maybe that could be what you do too. And I was like, have you even heard of like basic, like growing into your sexuality and growing into, you know, as a human being going through puberty, it's like, come on. Anyway. Oh, you should have taken him on the date. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what happens with those church leaders so often. They're, they're just like, oh, well, you know, when I was in college, I used to make out with loads of boys, but now I'm married, so I'm definitely <laughs> not gay. And it, it was just, a, you know, it was just a phrase and probably it is with you too. And I'm like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> they just love the confessional. They just love to, and it's like, have you never heard of a little thing called being bisexual or being pansexual for a start? Like maybe you did like boys in college and maybe you like them now and maybe you like girls too. And that's okay. Obviously, you know, people can be bisexual and there's no reason why they couldn't be deeply in love and they couldn't love one another fully and, you know, and have a, you know, a full good relationship. But certainly they, I have other pastors who've confessed to me that they're not bisexual, they're fully gay and yet they're married. And the wife okay. is, often they tell the wife, but after they're married and then the wife is stuck in a situation where she she doesn't want to tell all of her friends, like she's got a gay husband and mm. she doesn't want to lose her community or her position in the church. And so obviously he can never be released. You know, if he came out, probably, you know, accolades and so on, might lose his job in the church, but, you know, accolades from friends and family for being so brave. And meanwhile, she's in a situation where, you know, she's not necessarily going to be able to find someone to spend the rest of uh-huh. her life with, you know, in the same way that, you know, he can join the Pride Parade and so on. So, yeah, yeah it's it gets very messy very quickly, you know, once people Horrible. have been through it. And it's not necessarily their fault because in the 70s and 80s and 90s, the, the gay conversion therapy wasn't really about the demons. The gay conversion therapy then was really like something to do with your parents and you need to forgive your dad for being overbearing and your mom for being too kind. And then if you then just go and get married really quickly, you'll end up having a wonderful straight life and look, you'll make all the children. So, you know, you can't blame these people for being in that situation but it's a horrible horrible situation to be in and to have been put in by the church really yeah especially when it's all encompassing like what you've lived through family school community everything mm-hmm. is around those beliefs that it... and you stand to lose it all yeah and there's there's people i know who are pastors of churches and they've they've got a great following and they're incredible people but they unfortunately they're just in a situation where they can't necessarily speak about their experiences in life and their history and their, the truth about who they are because they stand to lose literally everything. And so yeah. does, you know, so yeah. do their partner, so does their, their church and, you know, everything. So, you know, and it's a lot more people than you would think, like a lot. Anyway, <laughs> this is one of my little secrets. So I was in this situation in the church where I went to the, the lead pastor and said, right, I'm, you know, you know that I'm gay, you know that I support inclusiveness, but now I'm looking to go on a date myself. And then they said to me, well, in that case, you will have to leave leadership entirely. And you cannot, certainly cannot lead our under 18 year olds or our young adults or our students. They said, you can go and work if you'd like with the homeless in um, the the homeless um, church 
service. <laughs> Why do the homeless have to get... I mean, the homeless, you know, I used to go to the homeless circle as well, and they were probably manipulative towards them. But, you know, that wasn't where I saw myself serving the church at that time. But I mean, are the homeless <laughs> asexual? Is that what they are? <laughs> I think probably to the leadership, they probably are. They just see them with <laughs> other needs to be fulfilled. And so uh, they just say, I don't know. It would have been a weird place to put me, really, because, you know, it's just, it was just it was just very extraordinary. They were like, no, no, you can go and do that, but you you certainly can absolutely yeah. cannot work with the students. Like oh. the students have left home, they're going through the time where they could choose to be gay, and if you're there, they're more likely to. Basically. Yes, they'll just flip on over to the other side. They'll tick that box. It's just incredible that it's so infectious, as we discussed last time, that you know you can't work with students, but. Try as you might, you can't kind of flip on. Well, exactly. Apparently, you know, if you're straight, you can so easily be persuaded to be gay just by being around a gay person. Mm. But, you know, every single relationship I ever saw on television up until sort of the 2000s was straight. Every person I knew was straight and every church leader I knew was apparently straight. So, Mm. you know, that's not influenced me. So why they thought I might influence everybody else? Well, I mean... Uh-huh. Those that satanic influence is stronger. stronger. They live out of fear. You know, they just live out of fear so often. I think they think that Satan has far more power than than God in those situations. You know. Well, I mean, I think they have done brain studies where they find that conservatives have a lot more fear in their lives. Plus, I think because a lot of those church leaders were themselves in a bisexual situation, mm-hmm. they assumed that all of the straight people they know probably have the same kind of attractions they're trying to hide themselves. And so they assume that people might be easily persuaded one way or the other because they would be themselves. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we shan't say anything about any other leaders in specific, but <clears throat> just yeah. a few thoughts there eventually I was pushed out of the church because I wasn't welcome anymore and they later on they tried to tell me you were definitely welcome because you were in church and you were singing and I was like it doesn't mean I was welcome so what happened so they, they told me you have to step down from working with the students right. and I said I will not step down you can force me to if you want and they said no no you have to step down and I said absolutely not I said the only way I will will be if you tell everyone exactly why I'm being forced to step down. They said, no, 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 it must remain a secret. And then eventually they said, if you come to a student event, then we will physically you know, remove you from it. So oh, wow. after that. Um, and I was devastated because oh. this was you know, the church was my whole life. The people there, my friends and family and you know, not physical family, but they were my family now. And- yeah. Where, what happened on the date? Oh, well, no, it didn't go ahead. It didn't go ahead. The whole thing was, that whole thing was destroyed. I didn't want to put the other guy through what I was going through. So I kind of just took the blame for it all and was like, Mm. oh, you know, he can just carry on being in the church by himself. And, you know, I won't go wrong. That was, that was out of our hands, really. We didn't, we didn't definitely go on the date. The amount of Uh, relationship destruction that they're responsible for is uh, immeasurable. mm -hmm. Going around breaking people up and. Absolutely. And they used to do it to the straight couples too. They were like, you know, we've heard you've gone on a date with such and such and we don't think he's a good (sighs) man. You know, it's too much. So then, yeah, so then I went back to Buxton and resumed my life away from that particular church. And I found a really quiet Methodist church where, you know, you sang a few songs and they, they said a few words from the front, which were all Methodists are all about 
kind of inclusion and freedom and yeah so that was quite nice and I I mean I don't go to church very much now but you know I needed that little bit of a kind of an in-between space and the Methodist church provided a nice space for that and then I kind of just realized it was time for me to to go on a date you know in reality <laughs> went on a few disastrous dates but eventually yeah I met uh, met the guy who's my partner now and we have a couple of cats and and a wonderful time really but you know in the meantime it's just been very difficult when it comes to the church itself and trying to enact any change and that's why you know it's wonderful to see like this podcast doing a pride month because there's still so much that has to be said about it Mm, mm. your your partner does he uh what kind of a background does he come from religion wise does he understand what's going on for you yeah, he doesn't really have a, a religion as such. He is involved in the church um, locally, but the church in his village is much more kind of like social gathering space right. and not really super religious focused. And so he's kind of, he kind of sees it more from, as a community centre type kind of rather than a religion. And and that you know that's quite nice. And and he understands a little of what I've gone through, but. It, you know, it's impossible really for someone who hasn't been inside that crazy upside down world to understand it. Yeah, yeah. But I decided a, a couple of years ago to to write my story and also to make a big complaint to the church and say, this is what happened. This was my experience. Okay. So I wrote to the bishop. Apparently you can do this. So if you're in the Church of England, that type of church, or not you know, like Church of Scotland, Church of Wales, Anglican churches, you, there is a complaint procedure. And a lot of churches have complaint procedures if you ask for them, usually around their safeguarding. So I sent a complaint in and basically said, you know, I was discriminated against and I went through this really dangerous exorcism experience and, you know, a couple of other things happened. And I got a letter back saying, no, there's no evidence of any of that happening. So then I was like, mm-hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> I'll do a little digging. And so now I have my massive file of evidence <laughs> from across a period of about 30 years within that church of conversion therapy and abuse and just the most awful things happening to people. And, you know, and also of people escaping from that and living incredible, diverse and, you know, and unique lives now. It's been, you know, a bit like you'll find this time, you, you've spoken to so many people We've been through awful things in the church, but have just developed the most wonderful personalities. Resilience, yeah, incredible resilience through really, really bleak and bracing times, really difficult Mm. times. I mean, for you, what's it been like having left now? What's it's all out, it's all in the open. What's life like now? There's a big gaping kind of gap in my life where the church used to be and you know people find a way to to keep that magic in their life like I have incredible friends and sense of humor so I have magic in that way but that kind of spiritual side I've not yet worked out like do I dump it all do I carry on with some of it do I where do I find it but I now what I've started to do is to research LGBT history throughout from 100 years ago 200 years ago to like read stories of people like Anne Lister and Mary Benson, Lonnie Frisbee, who was involved in Vineyard Churches in the very beginning, who was a gay man, Robert Wood, who wrote one of the first inclusive church books about church theology. Before there was any books about conversion therapy, there was this guy called Robert Wood who wrote a book saying that you should be allowed to allow gay people to get married. And that was back in the 1940s or 50s, I think, quite a long time ago. So I kind of fill my life with these incredible ancestors. I've got a big wall covered in post-it notes, just like with lots of different characters on from history. It gives me that sense of connection and link that church used to give me. 
Because, I mean, that's part of the problem with there's no ancestors in the gay community. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When you're in the church, you kind of, you've got like, oh, this is, the, I'm the spiritual son of such and such. Mm. And I've got the powers of so-and-so, you know, and like Abraham is within me and all of this. And then if you leave and it's kind of like, well, you know, oh, who am I connected to now? So it's quite nice to find those connections and to be like, do you know what, like, Anne Lister was a lesbian and she lived in the, I think it was the late 1800s. And, you know, you see her story and you can connect with it as well in your own story. And you think, yeah, like, you know, some of her character is in me and I carry some of her, you know, her ancestry and so on. And not literally, but spirit, you know, not even spiritually, but yeah. like on a level. It's quite nice. It's just Personally, nice. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the, the fight with the church, like, just goes on because they continue to say nothing happened. And, you know, I continue to push back and say, we definitely did. And here's all the proof of it. But unfortunately, I think churches don't like to listen to it. What kind of an outcome are you hoping for from such a resistant place? I don't think I see them doing any changing themselves, but I'm looking for safeguarding for the future so that other people don't go through the exact same things, but yeah. also don't yeah. go through similar things. And that people's eyes are a bit more aware and also that people maybe don't go there in the first place because the whole thing about the attractional church is that it looks so inclusive and gorgeous and then as soon as I post a review on their Facebook page saying it looks gorgeous but it is very dangerous for LGBT people they delete the entire Facebook review section from Facebook (laughs) so you know my idea really is to just make people aware like it's not necessarily a safe place to be okay and what would you say to somebody who's in a church now you know they're sitting there they've got all this conflict going on between community and themselves and their identity and their church and their faith and all kinds of things like what kind of advice can you give someone who's got Mm. so many so many challenges to kind of overcome before they can feel the kind of freedom you're talking about I think the first thing is to be extremely gentle and extremely kind to yourself because it's such a slow process. Like, I mean, it sounds quick when I talk about it, but for me, it's been 10 years since pretty much since I got to that church to now. So that's a long time. And for other people, it takes even longer than that to even begin to understand what has happened to you and to untangle that. And it takes a lot of pausing and being kind. So for me, there was a time when I kind of reached a stepping point where I, I just said, basically, to, you know, when I went through that uh, conversion therapy experience, for me, it was the demonic one. And I said to myself, like, leave, like, go, like, d- be out of myself. Like, I was like, I hated half of myself. And I got to a very active point in my life where I said, I need to be kind and loving to the self that I've like thrown away and kind of welcome that back and to, to sort of treat treat myself the way that I would treat other people Mm. and to have empathy for yourself and to have understanding and I think that's it and then taking that little break like maybe just if you go to church every week and you're struggling like maybe go every other week or Mm -hmm. skip one in three and just instead just take a little bit of time not to throw that all away but to just like listen to what your your body is telling you to what your what you your needs are and then you know to try to find ways to to live fully and to embrace who God made you to be, if, if that's what you believe. Yeah, it's not, it's not an easy process, that's for sure. Yeah. 
And it's important to read other things as well and to find your own method out. So it might be that you look at that through a theology point of view, or it might be that you look at it through a psychological point of view, or it might just be you read stories of people who've escaped and lived, or it might be that you just look at the lives of historical people and you just find some way to to live at peace with yourself and to just forgive yourself for the, you know, the hate that you've poured on yourself over that time. And it's, it's not your fault if you did do that because that's what you were taught to do. Very good. Very sage advice. Where can we find your book best? Bringing me back to me. So yeah, it's the story of how I brought myself back to myself and you can pick that up from Amazon or, you know, or if you know, you can connect with me on Twitter, it's at Matt Draps on Twitter. So, you know, you can, you can give me a follow and see some of the nonsense I post, which is half about Star Trek. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been a weird one today, I think. Like, you know, like this stuff is so, it's hard to be fun about it because it is quite serious and you forget that. But I've had these conversations with so many people who've been through worse things than I've been through. And you just like, wow. I don't know about worse and better. You know, everybody's processing, aren't they? Everybody's experiencing it. Yeah. I don't it's know a conversation. It's immeasurable. Yeah, so mm. easily. All right, well, well, we'll be talking soon to some new people together. Look forward yeah, to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Right. All right, we'll talk then. Okay, all right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, hello, and thank you for listening. I really appreciate your time being part of this conversation and, and absorbing all this kind of information on this podcast. Thank you. Make sure you share it. I've got another two exciting interviews coming up soon. First one is with Ben Gresham Petchell, who also went through gay conversion therapy at Hillsong and took Brian to task personally over it. It was a very interesting time. He's decided that it's time to talk about it, and I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing that. After that, we'll be heading over to Scotland to talk to Sarah and we will uh, be ending in North America. So until next time, keep yourself safe, be kind to yourself and each other. Keep leaving Hillsong, and we'll talk then. Bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. 
I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.